Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. If you're a person that brings your Bible with you and it's a paper Bible, you can turn over to the book of Matthew and the first chapter of Matthew so you can get a little bit of a jump on things. And uh, if you've got a digital Bible, you can also go to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in the 18th verse and go to the end of the chapter. But before we get into that, um, how many of you have heard the Christmas story uh, over the years in, in, you know, growing up in church or going to church? How many of you have heard the Christmas story like maybe hundreds or thousands of times? Uh, can you imagine being a preacher? Coming to this time of the year, I have been here long enough to where I've preached every text on the Christmas story multiple times. And there comes a point where you're like, you know, um, God, I, I need some fresh insight here. I, I need you to help me to see this through a new set of eyes. And I, I really felt for today's message like the Holy Spirit gave me a, a little bit different take or a little bit different angle on the Christmas story and where we're going to be going today. So thank God, right? <laughs> you know, I want to step back today in my message. I want to step back from the fun and the cuteness of the Christmas message. And I want to consider the, di- the disruption and the upheaval that that first Christmas caused. I want you to think about those two words, disruption and upheaval. When a teenage girl named Mary a virgin teenage girl named Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Think about that one. This new little family of Joseph and Mary went through a revolution. This theme of disruption and upheaval went on to become a key idea around the coming of Jesus into the world. When you look at all the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth, his conception, his birth, one of the things attached to that whole event, that whole series of events, is upheaval. Governments, are shaken. Leaders are shaken. The heavens align. Everything was being changed because a child was born on planet earth. And I find in my own life, this is still happening. Jesus is the great disruptor. He comes to me regularly and brings up people, and he does it in your life too. If you're really a follower of his, you're going to go through times that he disrupts your world. Amen? Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25. Let's read it together. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up 
He did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now, if you step back from that very familiar story, and you begin to read between the lines and recognize what's going on here, you understand this was unprecedented. This event turned the world upside down, but it started by turning a young couple's world upside down. And we're going to look at that today. I want to give you, I want to start, if you're a note taker, I want to start with the setup to the big disruption. The setup to the big disruption. And let's go back through this particular narrative. What's it tell us? First of all, it tells us that Mary and Joseph are engaged, but Mary is pregnant. Now, if you understand, in the Hebrew culture, this was a one-year engagement. And for that year, the couple would actually, with parental oversight, they would live in the same home. Many times they would move in with the family, and they would live together in the same home, but they were not to consummate their marriage. They were not to have sexual relations. And so they're together, and Mary announces that she is pregnant. How many of you know that'll mess your plans up real quick? In this particular culture, being married without consummation of the marriage was taboo and disruptive. According to the Old Testament law, Mary would normally have been stoned to death by the community, taken outside the community and stoned to death for being engaged to a man but becoming pregnant by another. Because they were under Roman occupation though, they could not carry out those consequences. This would have been a heartbreaking, embarrassing, and shameful time for both Joseph and Mary when people began to recognize it. And just to give you a little bit of backstory, when Mary was first visited by the angel Gabriel and she was told that the Holy Spirit, we'll look at that text in a few minutes, that the Holy Spirit was going to conceive a child in her and the child was going to be the Son of God. When that first happened, she found out that her cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant supernaturally by her husband, but she was beyond the age to be able to get pregnant, Mary left and went to Elizabeth's home. And she stayed there for three months. While she was there during that three-month time, she would have started to show. Then she comes back to Joseph, and now Joseph is here, and his wife has got a little pooge, and he's going, what happened when you went to Elizabeth's home? And she's all, the Holy Spirit made me pregnant. How many of you know? He's going, right. Okay, so now we know what's going on, right? And then we see Mary is pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, Joseph didn't know that at that time. He didn't know that this was a Holy Spirit conception. In Joseph's eyes, Mary's story of the conception must have seemed like a lie or a fantasy. There was simply no precedent for this in all of human history. Remember, there are no categories for a virgin becoming pregnant by the Spirit of God. This has never happened before. This is outside of any boundary, any theological boundary. Even though it's there in the Old Testament, it's there in a mystery. The prophets said it would happen. The people of Israel were blinded to it. Even the, the greatest scholars of the day could not wrap their head around the idea that the Messiah was going to be born from a virgin by the Holy Spirit. They didn't know that. They didn't recognize that. See, Luke details the virgin conception. We see this in Luke 1, 30 through 35. Look at it with me. It says this, Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So that's the story that Mary had. This is what took place with her, and she's the first, right, to, to get this news, but sharing it with her husband-to-be, the one she's engaged to, hasn't gone over up to this point. He needs intervention. Now, I love what it says about Joseph. It says that he's a righteous man. This doesn't mean he lived in perfect righteousness because we know that Joseph needed Jesus to die for his sins as much as anybody else, right? So he wasn't some kind of immaculate husband, and she, Mary, wasn't this immaculate, sinless virgin. She, too, was a sinner who needed Jesus. She needed the one who would be born by her to die on the cross for her sins. But, but Joseph was a righteous man, and this is what you'd call relative righteousness, Based upon the average righteousness or goodness of people that lived at that time, Joseph was a, was a good man. He tried his best to follow God and please God and do the things that, that honored God. And then it says Joseph doesn't want to disgrace Mary publicly. Even though the people could not engage in capital punishment for Mary's sin, sin, they could make her and Joseph feel so ashamed and so rejected from the community that they would wish they were dead. Joseph is looking for a way to cover and protect Mary. Mary Mary must have been a woman that was very devout, and there would be no evidence of unfaithfulness. So you can imagine, Joseph is confused. Joseph, he's not reading all the signals, right? He doesn't understand what's going on here. I know this woman. She's devout. She loves Jesus, and she was truly handpicked by God. There's something very special about this woman. How did she become pregnant? How could she be taken advantage of like this? There's simply no precedent for a virgin getting pregnant. I've said that once, I'll say it again. This was so disruptive to their life. This was a turn the world upside down moment. So he decides what? To divorce her secretly. A secret divorce could have probably been arranged in that time and day and they could have gone on with their lives to some degree. However, in that culture, single motherhood was a terrible way to live impossible way to live. Women couldn't get jobs. They couldn't go back to school. Single motherhood and single parenthood now is very difficult, very hard life. And those of you that are doing it, I, I pray the Lord help you and give you compassion and strength because I know what you're doing is so, so difficult. But at that time, the only thing a woman could do to care for her child was either to abandon or give them up for adoption or go into prostitution. That's all the options that a woman had. So then their little life, their plans, imagine they had plans. Every young couple has plans. You ever notice that? Peggy and I get married. We start having children. We had plans. We had dreams. There were things we wanted to do. There were things we wanted to accomplish. We had it all figured out. (laughs) That's what you do in your 20s, right? You have it all figured out. By your 30s, you realize that was a joke. All of my best laid plans were disrupted, upheaval comes, life comes. But they had plans. They were like anyone else. They were people full of hope. They wanted to have a family. 
he was a carpenter or a stonemason, depending on which scholars you read. But we know that Joseph was one who had his own construction business, and he was going to raise up his sons in that construction business and do everything he could do to, to take care of his family and live in Nazareth and have a good life. And all of a sudden, an angel comes along. A dream comes along. And that takes us to the next point, and that's the, the disruption of a dream and of an angel. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This is unprecedented and disruptive. I'll tell you why. Because see, at this time, this is a time in history that scholars call the, the time of silence. Okay, so here, right, this is the New Testament. This is the book of Matthew. I just want to illustrate this to you. And this is one sheet between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is the book of Malachi, or as some say, the Italian prophet Malachi. Okay, so we got Malachi, oh Malachi. Okay, so we got Malachi here, Malachi here. We've got one page, and then we've got Matthew. Okay, now actually the first gospel that was written was probably Mark, but this period of time right here is a 400-year period. 400 years passed from Malachi to Matthew. And during that 400-year time, scholars call it this, the time of silence. Now, we know there are extra-biblical words or extra-biblical writings that indicate that God still spoke, that He seemed to speak to individuals, but there are no biblical letters, laws of history. There, there, there's nothing written during that time, and scholars call it the season of silence. It's, it's as though God went quiet, and all of a sudden, now God is showing up, and He's speaking to Mary through an angel. He's speaking to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's speaking now to Joseph. He's been silent, and all of a sudden, God's talking everywhere, and this is unprecedented. If you walked up to somebody and said, God spoke to me in a dream, an angel visited me, people would have been like, yeah, right. It's like today. Uh, I think it was a famous comedian, comedian a woman from many years ago, Lily Tomlin, I think she said one time in an interview that it's okay to say that you talk to God in prayer, but when you start saying God's talking back to you, people go, okay, right, you're hearing voices now. But we actually believe God talks to us, don't we? Does God talk to you? I hope so. If you listen carefully, he's even talking to you right now at this very moment, amen. So this angel shows up and speaks, and this is unheard of, this is disruptive, this is like I'm going about my life, how dare you come in and, and bring all this upheaval and disruption? And what does he say to him? The first thing he says, this is really telling, he says, Joseph, son of David. What's he saying? He's speaking to Joseph's identity, right off the bat. He's saying to him, Joseph, you may think you're a poor nobody, but you've got royal blood coursing through your veins. You are royalty. Don't forget who you really are. I know you think you're a common guy. I know you think that nobody cares about your life, that you and Mary are just another little young couple with dreams to have a family, but I'm about to rock your world, disrupt your life, turn it all upside down, and make you a part of the most important story in all of human history, everything that everyone has been waiting for forever, the coming of the one. You get to be a part of that. And you know, I just want to stop right there and talk to some of you. Some of you in this room need to be reminded of who you are. If you're a child of God, do we have any children of God in this room? 
Do we have any people that have said, Jesus, Savior, Lord? Any of you that have been born from above, born anew, born again? Come on. You know what that means? You got royal spiritual DNA. You have a new identity. You're a child of the king, as Pastor Raul said, right? God is your father. The church is your family. You have a new identity. And not only that, but you're part of the greatest story in human history. This is the big story. This is the story of all stories. Every other story that's ever been told that reaches our heart, that touches us, every story of love and sacrifice between a man and a woman, a father and a son, all the great stories point back to that story. They all are nothing but shadows, but this is the substance, and you're part of that story. That was a good place for an amen. Amen. Joseph, son of David, don't forget who you are. That's disruptive. I thought I was just a normal Joe. Sif, you are not. You're Joseph, son of David, the greatest king in Israel's history, the great warrior king who foreshadowed the Messiah, the one who's a picture of the one to come, Jesus. And he says this, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The words don't be afraid are the main words angels use whenever they encounter people in the Bible. You ever notice that? But this is different. Don't be afraid to what? To take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about the disgraced and seemingly unfaithful woman that's with you to take her as your wife because she's not. You can take her, and you're going to be rejected, and things are going to happen to you. You're going to go through some difficulty because of it, but don't be afraid. You're going to be okay. I'm going to be with you, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What does that even mean? Look, go go with me somewhere. Use your holy imagination right now. We look back 2,000 years, and we're enlightened. We have the Bible. We've heard the story a thousand times. So in our eyes, this is no big deal many times. In fact, if we're not careful, familiarity will breed contempt. We'll look at the story we've heard so many times before, yawn, and say, Merry Christmas. And we'll miss the import. We'll miss what is happening here. God came down and became a human. Got right down here on planet Earth with us. That's unprecedented unheard of, disruptive. What does it mean? What's been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. How does God's Spirit impregnate a woman? How does Spirit bring forth material? We don't know. That's the mystery. But now Joseph knows that Mary's telling the truth, and you can imagine, then he must have been in awe and wonder. One minute, I don't understand what's going on here. I don't want to make her feel ashamed. I'm going to put her away secretly with a divorce. And his heart is broken and he loved this woman. The next minute he probably just was like, can I touch her? God's conceived a child in her? What mystery, what wonder. And she'll give birth to a son, a son The son will be his, but not his. Think about that. This son is from God. Does that mean that this son must then be God? This is unprecedented. 
and unheard of. This is disruptive to their plans as a father and a mother. Think about that one. How would you like the assignment of raising the Son of God? I mean, you know at that moment, there's some prayers ascending to heaven. And they start with the four-letter word, help! Right? I mean, unprecedented. This is upheaval. This is disruption. This is the disruption of a God who keeps his promises. It then goes on to say in the text, all of this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. This is, all fulfills what God said in prophecy. See, most everything God does on planet earth is to fulfill his promises made through his prophets in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible. God said this would happen. People didn't really understand it. The scholars of that time couldn't see it. God was moving and working. He was landing on planet Earth. I want you to think about it. The Earth was the same size at that time as it is now. Its population was far smaller. But there were civilizations, not just Rome. There were civilizations in the Americas. There were civilizations in what we call India and China today. There were things going on on planet Earth that were happening at that time. There were a lot more, quote-unquote, important things than what was happening in little backwater called Judea. But in this little backwater, the most important event in human history is happening for God is incarnating himself and coming right down here. And most of the world doesn't even know it's happening and most of the world's missing it. But God's unveiling it to a few. He's saying, look here, I got a secret. It's finally time. I'm with you, among you. It said the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. This is a really important point. Because even today, many skeptics, agnostics, and atheists point to this quote from Isaiah to show the Bible's wrong. The Old Testament word for young woman is the same word used for virgin. They use this to say that Jesus wasn't born from a virgin mother and his conception wasn't divine. However, in Israel, a young woman was required to be a virgin or face death, or at a minimum, public shaming. In context, the word for young woman meant young virgin woman. Have you ever noticed that even in English and in all languages this is true, but in English, the way you use a word will oftentimes determine what it means. So context is everything. So the Old Testament writers, like us, words meanings were dependent upon the context. And so when they wrote a, a Hebrew word that could be read in some context just as young woman, but in most contexts as young virgin woman, that word was all dependent upon their setting. And in Israel, a young woman was a virgin woman. There were exceptions like there are in every culture. I'm not saying that people didn't have sex outside of marriage, but I'm gonna tell you what. It was rare, and when it did happen, there was all kinds of potential consequences. So we have this incredible story. A virgin becomes pregnant and is to give birth to a son. This is disruptive to the norm. This is uh, unprecedented. This is against the normal and the natural order of things. How many of you know it's happened one time? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. One time. So that's not normal. 
Secondly, his name or title will be Emmanuel. Now they tell, you know, the angel tells Joseph, you're going to name the baby Jesus. The angel tells Mary, name him Jesus. And then all of a sudden we have this text from Isaiah that says his name will be called Emmanuel. What is this? Is there confusion? No. There were many names and titles for the Messiah. These were normal things that, that, that happened in Hebrew culture. They were names or titles that implied characteristics of that person. So here he's called, the title that's given to him is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. This is really profound because the people of that time, the people of Israel, would have saw God as being with them only when they ruled over other nations and when they prospered. So they knew they weren't in a time of God being with them. They were under Roman occupation and the Romans were oppressing them and they felt like God had abandoned them and that's why they yearned for the Messiah. And now all of a sudden this prophetic word comes to them and the angel says you're gonna call his title or his name Emmanuel and Emmanuel is God is with you. But this is different than they expected because they thought God being with them meant that they were finally gonna rise up and conquer the world and in Instead, it was God's going to come down and be with you and among you and one of you. He's going to be right here among you as a human being. And again, no category. Disruptive. I love this uh, story from E. Stanley Jones. This is from a writing of his called A Personal God. He was a theologian in the 20th century. Remember that? The 20th century? Any of you remember the 20th century? The last millennia. Okay. So listen to this. A little boy stood before the picture of his absent father. And he, then he turned to his mother and wistfully said, I wish father would step out of the picture. This little boy expressed the deepest yearning of the human heart. We who have gazed upon the picture of God in nature are grateful, but not satisfied. We want our father to step out of the impersonal picture and meet us as a person. Tulsi Das, the great poet of India, said this, the impersonal laid no hold on my heart. It never does, for the human heart is personal and wants a personal response. Why won't principles do? Why do we need a personal God, someone asks. Well, suppose you go to a child crying for its mother and you say, don't cry, little child. I'm giving to you the principle of motherhood. <laughs> Would the tears dry and the face light up? Hardly. The child would brush aside your principle of motherhood and cry for its mother. We all want not a principle nor a picture, but a person. The father has stepped out of the picture. The word has become flesh. That is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us. He is the personal approach from the unseen world. We almost gasp as the picture steps out of the frame. We did not dare dream God was like Christ, but He is. Just as I analyze chemically the tiny sunbeam and discover in it the chemical makeup of the vast sun, so I look at the character and the life of Jesus and I know that God's character, and I know what God's character is like. He is Christ-like. You have an advantage, said Dr. Hu Shi, the father of the Renaissance movement in China, in that all the ideas in Christianity have become embodied in a person. That person is Jesus, Amen. the full revelation of God. Yes. So you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You know, want to know his character, his nature, the way he treats people, 
the way he interacts with his planet, look at Jesus. Jesus is the full expression, the full revelation of the nature of the Father. If we want to know what God the Father is like, we merely look at Jesus and what do we see? A personal God. See, I want to tell you something. If you're on a quest, if you're here, you're a skeptic or you're a seeker, you're knocking on doors, you're asking questions about religion, about God, about Christianity, let me just cut to the quick here and get right down to the essence. We're not talking about a religion here. We don't want you to join us in our religion. We don't want you to join us in our philosophy, our ideology. We don't want any of that. We want you to come meet a person. See, Andrew was a, was a fisherman and he had a brother named Peter, Simon Peter. And one day Andrew has this encounter with Jesus and it rocks his world. And he goes to his brother Peter and he says, hey, come see a man. Come see a man. And you see that refrain throughout the gospel. Come see a man. Come meet this person. And that's who we're talking about. Christianity is Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus. He's all we need and all there is. He is the full embodiment of all God's plan and all God's nature and all God's character. If you want to know what it's all about, it's all about Jesus. Beautiful. And that takes me to the last point. What do you do? Well, I got to hurry here. What do you do once all this has happened? How do you respond? How do you respond when when God comes on the scene and disrupts your life and turns it upside down and tells you you're going to be the parent of the Son of God? What do you do? The disruption of following God's will. What's it look like? Well, it says Joseph woke up and did as he was told. I love that. Simple. No hesitation, no question. He woke up. This is, this is really powerful here. Think about this. Sometimes we got to wake up from our dreams and obey God. Joseph had no arguments left. For some of you, you got to wake up and do what God's telling you to do. You need to quit making excuses. You need to quit putting it off. Some of you, you have, you have an awareness that God spoke to you about an area of your life, about a call, about something, maybe a sin area. Maybe he wants you to get counseling. Maybe whatever it may be, he wants you to work on your marriage. I don't, there's some area of your life and the Lord's been touching you on it. He's been putting his finger on it and he's been saying, come on, I want you to do this. And you're afraid. You don't know what the future holds. What if it disrupts my life? What if it changes my plan? It surely will. But I'm going to tell you what, as soon as you wake up from your dreaming and obey what he says, you're going to watch him move on your behalf and you're going to get to be a part of something far greater than you could ever engineer on your own. Wake up from your dream and do what he's telling you to do. And then what did he do? He married her. He married Mary. Joseph knew this would be scandalous. He knew his reputation would suffer as Mary's would. He also knew that they were a part of something unprecedented and unheard of in human history. This disrupted their entire life and all their plans. You know, you don't have to go into full-time vocational ministry like I do. It doesn't matter where you work, what you do, what your vocation is, what your job is. If you follow God, it's going to disrupt things. There's going to be times he calls you to do some stuff that's going to seem crazy to people. And they're not going to understand. Because they don't have the benefit of your encounter. They don't know what God said to you in the secret. They don't know how he spoke to you in his dream for you. But you got to do it. You got to obey. Amen? And then, this is interesting, and I know this is a little controversial. I know we have some younger people here, but the scripture says that he didn't have sex with her until after Jesus was born. This is real stuff. 
There's nothing in the text that says that was commanded. God didn't tell him that. But somehow, Scripture records it, records it as something important and noteworthy. What is that? Well, Mary would go on to have other children. We see that later. And Joseph knew that this entire conception, pregnancy, and birth was not to be interfered with in any way. And I think I'd feel the same. <laughs> be terrified. <laughs> right? This disrupted, think about this, in his own life, personally, this disrupted his normal desires and required self-control and honor and respect for something that God was doing that was holy. What a good man he was. And he named the baby Jesus. He did what he was told. He followed directions. He fulfilled his duty. And, and therefore, we know that Jesus was put in a home with a man who was worthy of raising him. Joseph was part of making Jesus into the man that he would become, that would save his people from their sins. Jesus is the one who is Yahweh's Savior. Jesus now disrupts the entire world. You know, I forgot to say that, but the name Jesus, the Hebrew name Yeshua, where we get Joshua, was a very common name. But that name means Yahweh, God, is Savior, is salvation. Yahweh saves us. And what does he save us from? Not the Roman Empire, not their domination, but our sins. Yeah. He'll save you from your sins. And for them, this was disruptive because they were waiting for the Messiah to come, the great conquering Davidic hero that would come on the scene and overturn Rome's rule and trample them underneath their feet and set them up as the head of the nations and they'd be the head and not the tail, the above only and not beneath. And instead, he comes to them and says, you know what I'm going to deal with? I'm going to deal with the real problem in all human hearts, your sin, the thing that keeps you oppressed. Because even when you're on top, you're on the bottom because then you become the oppressor and then you get full of power and greed and lust and violence. I have to do a heart transplant. I got to change the thing inside of you. I got to deal with the root cause of all human woe and pain. Don't worry about it. And that's what he came to do. He'll save us from our sins. So that disruption, what does it mean when you boil it all down? What are the big ideas? The first thing is this. Like Joseph, we can make our plans but Jesus will disrupt them. You know, it's funny, I look around this room and I know many of your stories and I, I know the story of disruption in this room. When you said, yes, Lord, I, I want to do your will and you wrestled and you struggled, but then you obeyed, things got turned upside down, but I'm telling you something, God's way and God's plan is going to be good in the end and you're going to see it. Let him disrupt your plans. You can't plan God out of your life. I'm sorry. If you're his, he's going to disrupt everything you come up with. Secondly, we got to be open to God disrupting our plans with his dreams for us. Why? So that Jesus can be brought forth into the world. Let me tell you something. If God disrupts your plans, it's because what he has for you is far greater and it's going to bring honor to his son let me tell you why you live. Every one of you in this room that are Christians, look at me right now. You don't live for yourself. Your life is not for you. You listen to me. Don't waste your life on yourself. It'll leave you empty. In the end, you'll be full of regret. You exist for Jesus Christ. You belong to Him. Your purpose for living is to make a big deal about Him. So I don't care where you work. This isn't about your job. This is about what you do in your job. 
what you do in your home, how you live at the grocery store. You see, you don't belong to yourself. Quit being afraid of a life that's disrupted because you follow God and start embracing His plan for your life. It's greater than you could ever conceive or dream about. It's actually the thing that you've been made for. The very deepest yearning and cry of your heart is going to be fulfilled when you say yes to God. So determine today, determine right now. I'm not saying my life anymore. I'm saying your life. I'm saying I live and breathe and move and have my being in you. I exist for your glory, for your honor. I want you to be a big deal in the earth. I want people to know about you. That's why you live. And we got to remember who we are. We got to remember our identity is royalty. If he calls you to follow him and go with him, it's because he wants, he wants you to know who you really are. We have no idea. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for them that he loves, that love him. You know what God has for us is so far beyond our wildest imagination, but for eternity, this life is like a blip. It's like a dot. It's like a little tiny period on a, the page of a novel. And the novel that God's writing that is your life, this eternal novel, is going to be filled with wonders beyond anything you can imagine or conceive or even dream about. And let me tell you something. You, the scripture says you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So the universe, the seen and the unseen, it's all yours. So quit settling for Esau's stew and start embracing your birthright. Who are you? Your royalty. Don't you forget it. And then we must remember that God keeps his promises to be the God who is with us. You feel alone. You feel like God's forsaken you. You feel like you can't experience his presence. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. He is Emmanuel. He is God with you. He's crazy about you. He loves you. He wants to be your friend, your father, your closest compassion, your helper, your parakletos, the one who comes alongside and speaks encouragement into you and lifts you up. He wants to be your all in all, and he is your all in all. He's never left you, and he never will. And lastly, when God disrupts our lives, we have to be quick to do what he shows us. When we do, it'll reveal Jesus to the world. When Joseph said, yes, okay, he woke up from his dream and he said, yeah, he will be called Jesus. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to go wherever you tell me to go and do whatever you tell me to do. Do you know right after that, the scripture says in the second chapter of Matthew that God led him over and over and over and over again with a dream. Led him from death, kept him safe, provided all of their needs, took them on a pathway to Egypt and brought them back home safe. Listen, you follow God and you follow his plan for your life and he's going to take care of you and he's going to provide for you and he's going to protect you. You're going to do everything he's created you to do. It's when we say, I don't want to do what you want me to do that we get ourselves in trouble. There's no place as safe as the will of God. It's the safest place for your life, the best, most fulfilling place for your life. So just say yes. Amen.